How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. Welcome back to How People Work. This is your co-host, I said I would say it, Jordan Peace, and your real host, Jason Murray. Ladies host and gentlemen. Slash co-host. <laughs> Not real. Well, I am real. It's but. like it's like founder and co-founder. Do you remember we met? I don't remember who it was now, but there was some small company we met that we were thinking about either bringing them on as a client or partnering with them in some way. Mm-hmm. And we met a guy who was the co-founder. Mm-hmm. And he introduced us to the CEO who referred to himself as founder. Yeah. But he right. wouldn't let his co-founder call himself founder. Right. It was founder and co-founder as yeah. if that were a lesser thing. Oh, yeah. Which like that, like the math doesn't work there. No, it at really all. doesn't. You either have yeah. a founder or you have co-founders, just for the record. Yeah. But do you remember back when we were like five employees? I do. And we were talking to an investor and they were like, where's your CEO? Oh, and we were like, um, yeah. Um, there's, there's Jordan? There's, there's like does somebody want to? Five of us? <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean. It was kind of funny. We just forgot to elect a CEO at yeah. the beginning. We were just like, yeah, we're just. We're just doing this didn't thing. Didn't feel like you needed one yeah. at that point. Yeah, it really didn't. It really didn't. Yeah. Anyway, we are sashaying our way into the next episode. You got it. Yeah, I just, you know, there's no way I was going to work it in later because right. it has nothing to do I with mean, what we're talking about. kind of perfect, though. Um, and as we go, so we talked last time. We are digging in. We are digging deep, deep into a survey that we have done. We talked about last time about creating a positive and satisfying employee experience and how that was the number one struggle when we ask over 500 uh, participants in our survey of HR professionals, um, what is your greatest challenge in your job? And the number one most frequent response was creating a positive and satisfying employee experience. So Jason, where do you want to take us from here in our data and our analysis of that data today? Yeah, uh, I think it'd be interesting to hit on kind of the next one in there. And I mean, we'll we'll unpack these things and hopefully the format of the podcast um, allows for our audience to maybe humor us to go a little bit deeper on some of these topics. Um, well, it's not a radio show. They can't call in and stop us, you know? It's true. Just kinda, that would be kind of fun, though. Just kind of talk about what we want. If they, like, called in, like, real angry. They'll and vote like, with Damn it, stop listening talking or about... not listening. That's how they'll vote. Yeah. <laughs> we should stop talking about human flourishing and all that crap. Just, like, get to the point. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Hey, Joe Rogan has three and four-hour episodes. That's true. You know, so I don't think we need to feel rushed to get to the point. I mean, like, that's really just... My ideal job, honestly, is like sit around and talk to interesting people. Smoke cigars and talk to interesting people for half a day. That sounds pretty cool to me. It does. We're just jealous. We are, very much so. Um, So one of the things that came out of the research was around tools and budget to support employee well-being. So what are some of the needs that HR professionals have? Um, And just as a reminder to everyone, 
this was a, a convergence of both a survey that we did with these questions that we asked, as well as um, about two dozen different interviews that we conducted with chief people officers mm. primarily, and a couple other folks that are HR consultants um, to kind of arrive at the insights that we gleaned from this. And one of the things that really stood out to me, um, especially in the market that we're in right now, yeah. that HR teams are being charged with is, um, you know, there's a saying that's, you know, doing the more same, with less. yeah, doing more with less. Um, and really, I think the mantra that we've heard is, you know, the charge is doing more with the same. Okay. Um, and in so terms of resources? Resources or? and budget. So I think Got there it. is sort of a perpetual felt need that most HR teams feel, which is they're under-resourced. Yes. So that was always one of the jokes that I told when I was in sales was like, I never came across an HR person that felt that they were under-resourced and you right. always get a good job. Or over-resourced. Yes. Right. Sorry. That's okay. You're rusty on the joke. I am point. rusty on the joke. You're head yeah. of innovation now. You, it's okay. Uh, and so, yeah, the charge now seemingly is that, you know, the same budget exists. Yeah. Most companies don't seem to be cutting budgets significantly around people programs, right. mm -hmm. um, but doing more with the same. One of the problems though is how do they maximize efficiency? And so mm. um, one anecdote in particular, I think helps illustrate this. So there's a chief people officer that I spoke with um, who's the CPO of a major software company actually in the HR space. Okay, um, They have about 700 employees. And she was describing to me that when she stepped into that role, they had over 42 pieces of software that were in their people stack as they I, call it i'll be honest when i scanned this quote that you're looking at right now i thought that was your hyperbole no i thought you were just saying like ah 42 some insane she said that she said that over 42 yes software solution yes for 700 people yeah which okay. i mean i like the reason i find it believable is think about the software stack even that we have right. at fringe and but this is just their people stack yeah this is just well i think it's for any any piece of software right. that the hr team has to manage okay that touches something related to the employee experience Jeez. right so it could be a whole bunch of different things because yeah. you got hris payroll yeah rewards and recognition yeah benefit it's been admin right and et cetera et cetera right so yeah i mean sales tools and then but, all these point solutions for these yep like yeah ad hoc things um and so i'd say that that that's probably on the high end of the spectrum i don't think you're gonna come across a ton of companies that are like hey we had 42 pieces of software in there they right. were themselves a software company and so there's right. kind of a predisposition towards that right. and to some degree it, dem it demonstrates um probably something very positive. I'm not sure it had a positive impact to have that many pieces of software. It probably didn't mm -hmm. because that's kind of chaos for the employee to navigate all of that. Mm -hmm. But it it probably demonstrates a desire that, hey, we're trying to help. We're trying to solve problems. We're, yeah. we're really, really trying to kind of push things forward in our employees. Yeah, I think experience. that's true. And I think, yeah. you know, they're one of those companies that we would say they get it. They get it. Um, they have that philosophy. They're trying to deliver on a really right. positive and good employee experience. And I think largely they are. And one of the things that I think is interesting that's happened that, that in some ways is sort of maybe inevitable is, let's look at like the last 20 years, right? Well, one of the things that's happened in the last 20 years is the uh, great proliferation of 
SaaS software, cloud-based right. software yeah. that, you know, like rewind 20 years ago, what we're still talking like dial up internet, right? right? So like the world's changed a lot in the last 20 years in terms of the tools available to us. And so what happened was, you know, uh, innovators and entrepreneurs out there started saying, hey, well, now there's these, this technology enables the creation of these tools that can make certain things easier. Right. And so what you have is these siloed solutions that started popping up to right. meet these, you know, needs in the employee experience that were identified right. or needs that maybe existed from, you know, sort of archaic systems that sure. existed previously. Right. Like, like, how did you sign up for your benefits before? Yeah. Pen and paper. Right. Guess what? How do you sign up for right. it now? And it's now all you digital. got your Anthem insurance and now I can build a piece of software that tell you where the nearest in-network doctor is. Exactly. Yeah. And so all these entrepreneurs built all these great solutions right. that do one thing. Yeah. Or maybe a couple of things, but they probably do one thing really well. Yeah. And then they started trying to expand into some of these other things. And right. so when you look at these charts of like uh, market maps, it's really crazy because, you know, you go from like 10 years ago like, hey, they were just like a handful of, you know, HR technology yeah. platforms. Right. Mainly they did payroll. Yeah. Right. And then some were starting to do HRIS and things like that. And now you look at it and it's like, there's literally thousands upon thousands of different HR technology solutions that do all sorts of things. Mm. And so what's happening is HR professionals are faced with this challenge of right. how the hell do we combine all of these things in any kind of way that's efficient. Like I can't even imagine managing 42 different solutions. What is the employee experience like? I mean, what? how, how do you even keep track of who's logging into right. what and how do they connect with one how another? How do you have time to meet with all of the CSMs at all the different right. software companies once a quarter? You know, like how do you even do that and right. do the rest of your job? So I, I'll say that, you know, Insight, which, you know, it may not seem like much of an insight because it seems obvious, but it was a sentiment that was consistently expressed across all the interviews in particular that we did was we've got to consolidate these solutions right. to deliver on people programs. Right. And so we can't have all these siloed single point solutions right. that do only one thing. We really need something more comprehensive that's going to help deliver that employee experience more efficiently. And I think there, there's probably two sides to that that are interesting. I mean, one is the business need, right? right? So if you're spreading your dollars, paying for 42 different programs, there's probably a lot of waste there. Yeah. And so in an environment where companies are looking to save dollars, right, or at least go further, do more with the same dollars, right. you're going to say, hey, what can we cut? Or where are we getting the the most bang for our buck, mm -hmm. right? Um and similarly, you look at the employee experience side of that and say, like, how could 42 different solutions possibly deliver a consistent and, uh, you know, optimal employee experience? Right, so they right. probably can. It's too fragmented and yeah. disjointed and you got to log into a bunch of different things. And I probably forgot about 30 at least of the different solutions that are there that yeah. I might be using, right? Totally. Um, and so I think, you know, what's interesting now, and this this is something that I sort of felt maybe intuitively that was validated, especially in the interviews that we're doing, is um, like what you maybe call the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. Mm. And so in this case, it's largely 20% of the features kind of within a lot of these software solutions 
we're delivering 80% of the value. Hmm. So then you think about maybe like a performance management tool. There's a bunch of them out there. These performance management tools that de developed ways for companies to do employee reviews and so forth. But a lot of them have said, uh, well, hey, we're going to start doing, you know, employee engagement and surveys and all these other things. Mm. But when you look at how HR teams are using them, a lot of times they're only using a minimal piece of the tool. And that's delivering 80% of the value that they're getting out of it in terms of meeting some kind of business need. And so I think that presents us with an opportunity. And that's some of what we're talking about and thinking about at Fringe is how yeah. do we help maybe bridge some of those gaps? How do we help do some of that consolidation right. around all of these different software tools to help HR teams uh, become more efficient? And not just for the sake of the business, but to deliver on this mission to support employees. And so I think that's where it actually ties back up into creating a positive employee experience. Right. It's like, why does it matter that there's better tools that are consolidated together to do all these things more efficiently? Well, it's good for the business, saves right. some money, right. but it's also good for the employee because you yeah. can deliver a better, more comprehensive employee experience in that way. Yeah, I think it's difficult for employees to, you know, especially a new employee. They're, they're just trying to get to know the people and get to know the manager and the culture and what's expected of me. And then there's like a million pieces of software they need to learn right. just to like just to like engage in the employee experience like the very internal and insular part of their job is just like yeah. participating in this culture here right which has very little to do with the actual most likely their actual role of like going out to sell or going out to support customers or going out to market or whatever the job is right so it's just a huge distraction and a huge um kind of limiter of productivity right. if your employees are just looking around to find the right piece of software to you know do one tiny task like ask for time off yeah or whatever the case may be yeah uh an example just that's on a more personal level that i found interesting um so i'll ask you this how many streaming services do you have currently do you mean the ones that I pay for or the ones that I borrow from friends and family? <laughs> Let's just go with the ones you pay for because that didn't have a Should I admit that on a public <laughs> podcast? Um, uh, not even admit anything. I just asked a question. Uh, let's see. Netflix. I've got um, Disney Plus, of course, because I've got five kids. Mm -hmm. um, we've got like Paramount Plus right now. Oh, you have that? Yeah. Yeah, because there's some show we're trying to watch. Uh -huh. I mean, that's what it always is. It's like the one show, that's right? That's how they get you. And that's how they get you. I don't have Hulu. Um, Sound like our parents saying things like that too. That's how they get you. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> we talk about like all these generations. Like I'm pretty sure we're just boomers um, in our late thirties. Uh, I don't like five. Yeah, you know, five, six uh, as far as TV. Yeah, you know, and then of course there's the Spotify and like the music related things. Yeah, you know, audiobooks. I I, I wonder seven, eight. Yeah, yeah, that's. I'd say probably about the same. Yeah. Because Netflix was the first one just ever, yeah, right? Like right. cloud streaming. Right. It was their vision. Yes. Then you had Hulu and then you had all these other ones start popping up. And mm -hmm. it's like, good Lord, like when is this going to end? 
Yeah, and Netflix got me recently. Yeah. They're like, they're on to me. You they're, know? <laughs> they're like, you're not a part of the household that pays oh, for they, this Oh, that's thing. the thing. And, they started cracking down on oh, that. Oh, they cracked. Yeah. They cracked and I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not good, man. It's, yeah, ironically, my brother's trying password, to make money, man. his password is get your own account. And ironically, now I have to. <laughs> I mean, some engineer at netflix has got to be laughing their ass yeah off right just that. like this guy they're like his brother told these people <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so i'm down from like seven to six now thanks netflix yeah that's perfect yeah um so it makes me think about i mean that's kind of like a trend i suppose in technology to some yeah. degree is you kind of get this proliferation but yeah. i i bet you start to get this consolidation Right. So yeah. we're still in this expansion phase yeah. where it's like going out now and now because everyone's trying to figure out how to monetize it, but yeah. it's not working for everyone. No. And they're not all going to make money long right. enough for it to be a sustainable right. platform. And how many have you signed up for to just watch one game? Ooh. Right. How many times have you signed up for Fubo? Like, how many email addresses have you used? Sling TV. <laughs> right. Or Sling TV Fubo. to watch that one game yeah. and then canceled it immediately after the game ended. Eh, you know, like, there, yeah, we were in desperate need of consolidation. Right. With streaming services. I'm going to say it now. Prediction. It's right. going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. But more more so for in on, on the topic that we're on, we need consolidation in the HR space. Right. For these poor HR people that do nothing but RF. FPs all day long oh to try to find gosh. a solution yeah. that does one single thing, right? And then they have to meet with CSM after CSM, quarter after quarter <laughs> to talk about how the software is being used and the new features and blah, blah, blah. It's got to be exhausting. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's interesting though is, I mean, I think there's C CFOs who are savvy and we like to rag on CFOs. Oh, very much so, yeah. A lot mm -hmm. because they often aren't thinking about the human impact of many they're, of their decisions. They're cheap, I think is what you're trying to say. Uh, you said it. I said it. I'll I mean, say it. Uh, that's I'll their job. Yeah. That's their... Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, to an extent, yeah, right. They're making decisions. That, Their job really is to make the best use of the dollars yeah. that are available. It's, it's really a stewardship thing, but often it's right. You default to the lowest common denominator, which is let's just spend less. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's interesting at that is um, some of these costs don't appear on a PNL or a balance sheet. So when you think about What's the cost of managing all these different programs? Well, that's not something that shows up right. on a line item just on the PL, right? Yeah. It's, it's just people's time. It's yeah. maybe less obvious to a finance team that, you know, these things are actually happening right. even. And so I think, you know, strategic HR professionals, and one of the things that was true with the interviews that we did is the folks that came from the operating side of the right. business prior to going to HR were by far the most astute when it came to understanding, hey, we have to really look at these things. Right. You know, from a pragmatic viewpoint, right. we're trying to deliver the optimal employee experience, like the best employee experience we can, yeah. but we have to be really thoughtful about yeah. it because the further we can stretch those dollars, yeah. the better off we're gonna be. Yeah, and for the most part, I'd say a lot of HR people who work with are, they're people people. Like they actually care about people, right? you know? and. You know, I, I, well, I won't make that cynical comment that just came to mind, but they're, they're people, <laughs> people, right? They start out that way, and some stay that way for the for their career, and so they look at that like two percent of people in the organization that use the student loan repayment benefit that you pay six dollars per employee per month for, and they're like, we got to keep it, 
We got to keep it because that 2%, it means the world to them, yeah. right? And that's some of why we've been successful with Fringe is coming in going, hey, we have that. And we have about 160 different other right. things the thing as people well. people are going to love. But that thing that you're worried about taking away, you're not taking it away. Right. It's okay. Yeah. They're going to get that too. Right. Along with all the other things that we offer. And right. that's really why we've been successful as a company because we've been able to consolidate consolidate and aggregate these things into one place yeah. when it comes to the employee experience at Fringe Benefits. One something that I heard a few times when I was working on the sales side of Fringe and having conversations with people who were considering buying it that, that I always found a little surprising was um, there'd sometimes be this sentiment of, we're gonna cater to the needs of the most fringe employees. Hmm. So the people who have the most unique needs that you might imagine, right. we're gonna try and deliver something really great for them. And what's the, is the, you think the motivation there is coming from a place of like true empathy or do you think that's coming from a place of like, I'm trying to get a win and have a good story to tell? Well, I can be really cynical. So I yeah. tend to think that it's um, maybe ignorance at times okay. or virtue signaling. Okay. Okay. Fair. Um, fair. Yeah. Or just a, 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 a lack of thinking through business implications mm -hmm. right so like or maybe a, a squeaky squeaky wheel mentality yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it doesn't mean that those services are invaluable but sure. like a good example would be um companies bring up uh things like adoption assistance right and like you and i like we have people close to us that have adopted yeah. children we're big adoption we're huge pro adoption pro adoption people, people. Definitely, yeah um but the number of people inside your company right that are gonna need an adoption assistance program. 2%. You know, at most. At, yeah, I mean, right? that's probably I mean, high, it's yeah. minimal, yeah. minimal. Right. But if you're a large organization, like that's costing, you know, literally tens of thousands of dollars per family. Super expensive. And so one of the things that I think is challenging is you look at it and say, well, would those dollars be deployed more impactfully elsewhere? Right. And yeah. that's a hard question to answer, right? Yeah, uh, or just more efficiently too. Yeah. Like, could you not solve that problem outside of a software solution? Correct. You know, could you right. not just identify the people that are looking for help with that and just directly help them with that in some through some other means, right. some sort of application program or something like that where they could say, hey, I, I really need assistance in this way and here's why, versus well, let's play, pay a per employee per month fee for something that less than 2% of people are gonna use. Yeah. So something that I thought was interesting that came up in this is, um, so despite the fact that many HR professionals feel that there are too many tools, so that was apparent yeah, in the research. Obviously. Um, obviously they also said in the survey that there's a need for more tools and budget to support employee well-being. So those two things kind of seem at odds, right? Fascinating. Um, and so I think what it implies is that- So they must not feel like they're getting the well-being that they're seeking because well, there are a yeah. ton of pieces of software attempting to help well-being right right so it's not like they don't exist but clearly they're the felt need is still there yeah so i think i think that's exactly one of the insights that i would have here is that the current tools available are insufficient to meet the needs of the job at hand Interesting. So if they're trying to de deliver on this employee experience, it seems apparent that those tools 
at their disposal hmm. aren't sufficient to meet the needs and potentially the investment in those programs right. is also insufficient. So maybe mm. there's an investment taking place, but is it a meaningful enough investment? Right. And so when I think about the tools, like one of the things that comes to mind would be maybe even like rewards and recognition type programs. So like rewards and recognition programs have been around for probably 15 years. Yeah. You talk yeah, to most companies and say, hey, do you think you should have a rewards and recognition program? Everyone's probably gonna say, oh yeah, we should oh, yeah. totally Why have one. Gotta have it. But if you look at all of the trends around employee well-being, employee engagement, employee loyalty, literally every single one of those metrics has declined over the last 20 years. Wow. And so we'd have to ask ourselves, well, are the current solutions for rewards and recognition mm. working as promised? Yeah. And I I think we'd have to say probably not. So right. the tools as they were created mm. are maybe turning out to be insufficient to actually meet the demands of what the HR role is today. What do you think is behind that? I feel like that'd be a good way to kind of, you know, talk through the last few minutes of our episode. What do you think is behind the fact that you know, as we talked about in the last episode, we do agree that there is a merit-based reward system that is useful for human beings to kind of self-actualize, to produce dignity in their lives and a, and a feeling of kind of self-worth and so forth. So we're, we're not anti-rewards and recognition, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you've got that in place. You've got a lot of things in place for the last 15 years, and yet all of these sentiment metrics as you mentioned, are just declining and declining. So what's what's broken? I I think part of it is a lack of vision. On, so on the part of the company. Companies. Um I mean when you think when you think about, you know, uh company executives, mm -hmm. right? And so I mean this isn't a knock on you or us necessarily, but just, like, just say it. Right. we're not HR professionals, right? Like we're not like, That's true. we didn't come up in the profession yeah. in a sense that like- we're more HR fanboys. I yeah. Like that's kind of what we are. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> and so like, we have a point of view on the human experience mm -hmm. and what we think the employee experience should be, but it's not rooted in like years or decades yeah. of experience. It's right. just like what we believe yeah. about things. That's and so, true. I think you have a lot of executives that are responsible for making budget decisions and yeah. how these investments are made that right. simply don't have experience yeah. on the people side of the business That's true. and they lack vision as a yeah. result. Um, and then I think you have HR professionals that similarly, you know, maybe don't have that experience or, or don't have that vision, right? What they mm -hmm. have is what they were told a company needs. Yeah. So like what's very common in the industry is benchmarking, right? What we like to say is just keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of companies that I think are out there asking themselves, what is the best employee experience we can design mm. for the people that work at this company? Right. They're just looking around saying, hey, are our benefits better than that company over mm. there or that company over there? Right. And what happens then is because they're not aiming for some kind of particular vision. They're saying, yeah. oh, everyone seems to have this rewards and recognition platform. I guess we ought to have it too. Right. And so they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall, yeah. see what sticks. And sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes mm -hmm. they don't get the results they want and they don't really know why. And I think 
it's really because they don't know what they're aiming for when it comes to that optimal employee experience. I th- I, yeah, I think that's really well put. I think it is vision. I think it's thinking for oneself. I think it's, you know, some of the things we talk about with like anthropology and understanding like the meta narrative of the human race and where we came from and where we're going and what people yeah. need and human flourishing and some of these things are like just totally pushed aside for the sake of keeping up with the Joneses. Right. For the sake of like, is really the best argument that we can make as HR professionals to our executive leadership. Well, they're doing it. Right. You know, like that's a child's argument. Yeah. You know, like, well, well, my buddy got ice cream. Can I have ice cream? Yeah. You know, like. Well, and the knock on executives, though, is they believe that story of like, oh, well, if we're going to compete with this company over here, we, like, do what we just got to do what they're doing right. a little bit better. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, well, yeah, if, if that. Yeah. Sometimes it's literally just parody. Like the goal right. is parody. Right. And that's frustrating. Right. You know, like, are we not trying to improve? I mean, we're sitting here as entrepreneurs that are obsessed with improving things and making things better and innovating. I get that there's a kind of a personality difference there, but it is maddening to think that we're just going to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. Yeah. For how many decades are we planning to do this? I think what's interesting, though, and this is this is something that I think you and I have talked about a bunch on this podcast, like the idea of human flourishing. And I think at the root of the notion of human flourishing is that there are core human needs that are, let's just say, universal, right? Like everyone needs these things to live a satisfying and fulfilling and whole a, a whole life that feels purposeful. And so when I was interviewing these uh, HR professionals and uh, people leaders, really, I think it's probably selling them short to call them HR professionals. I mean, they're, they're people running the people strategy at their organizations. I mean, these are great people. That's a good point. Yeah. I think you're right though, to, to call out that these aren't just HR professionals. These are the people that are the people, people they're thinking about the employee experience. They're thinking about what it's like to work at this company and what culture they're going to maintain and, you know, I think we've 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 beat this dead horse a few times, but like it's you know it's frustrating to think that they're not that they are under resourced and they're not getting what they need to to produce the type of experience that people need. Um, one, one last one last thing, if you will, from like insight from uh, the data and from your interviews, like what what is just to set up the next episode and so forth. Like, what is one thing? that you want to talk about in terms of just one of the interviews that you had that you were taken with, you know, that really you felt empathy for this, this person that like really just felt like, man, they are, they're the classic HR person struggling, under-resourced, not able to kind of break through the mold and like give their people what they want. Was there, was there one interview that jumped out at you that you learned a lot from, even though you came in with, a pretty well-formed perspective. I uh, I think it, it was maybe more one or two that I was surprised mm. at maybe how far behind the like mean company is, like the average company huh. is. So I think we live in a space where we're probably like in in the top quartile yeah. let's say we're a little on the margins the way we're thinking about employee experience yeah. and that's not to pat ourselves and, on the well back. and our I clients it's just, are it's true most likely as right. well and so, still on the margins yeah. still waiting for the mainstream to catch that, up that was yeah. kind of the other thing yeah. too is like a lot of the the people leaders i'm 
used to interacting with, kind of the communities that we're a part of as we've been building Fringe yeah. are largely companies that are in that environment yeah. of like they have a really, they have some vision for right. the people experience. And so you start to just kind of see the world through that mm. lens. And yeah. as I stepped out of it, we really intentionally went and talked to leaders at different kinds of organizations, some from those progressive ones, but yeah. also some from, you know, more traditional organizations. And I think what part of the reason we arrived at this insight of companies get it or they don't is there's great people leaders working at some of these average companies. Yeah. And the average company is not a place that has vision yet mm. for what that positive employee experience looks like. And so I think the challenge is they lack that vision. It's a hard place for an HR person to work. Yeah. The opportunity is that's the job, right? Yeah. That's the that's the opportunity is yeah. to be the person to cast that vision, maybe plant that seed. Obviously, you know, you have a career to consider. You don't want yeah. to beat your head against a wall right. for too long, but maybe a little bit. Yeah. Right. In order to help uh Somebody said it and it stuck with me as like the HR person is like the culture vigilante. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's good. It's like, you know, the, but kind of their point was they're the sort of only line of defense yeah. between executives making bad decisions and like what the people actually need. That's so sad that there needs to be a line of defense. There shouldn't need to be a line of defense. That. A parting shot here, at, and I don't mean it as a shot. I mean as a, as an encouragement and inspiration, hopefully, to executives that are listening. You might only get one chance at this. You might only get one chance to lead an organization. Do, do you really think that the bottom line and selling this company for the most money you possibly could get for it, that's the meaning, that's the purpose of your life? Do you really believe that? You've got an opportunity to lead. I don't know. I, I I get to lead about what fifty five people right now. Some people get to lead fifty five thousand, you know, and and up from there and all sorts of in between. It's an opportunity to impact people in a way, an outsized impact that most people never get an opportunity, never get an opportunity to create an environment, to create a culture, to create a place where people can thrive. That people will remember that, that they're telling their children right. and their grandchildren about how great it was to work at this organization because we believed in this and our mission was that and our values were these. Right. You're shaping families. Yeah. You're shaping the future. You're shaping the country, maybe multiple countries, depending yeah. on what organization you lead. Get your head out of your butt. You can understand that this whole thing yeah. is about people. And yeah, it's about money too. We need to make money, of course. Yeah. We need to make money so we can pay these people. We need to make money because that's our job. And we got investors to report to. I got investors to report to too. Yeah. But you know, I, I just wanted to take a second to just speak to those executives and say, this is this might be your one shot of doing something great in yeah. life. And if the only thing you can say at the end of your life is that well, the investors were expecting a hundred million out, dollar outcome, and I got them one hundred and fifty. Yeah, nobody's going to celebrate that at your funeral, right? Not a single person yeah. is going to give a damn about that extra fifty million. Yeah, this thing's about people. Yeah, wake up. Maybe the one thing I'd add on to that is yeah. um, to people who are people leaders and managers, not within HR, that can be advocates with the HR team. Yeah, right. Because I think you know if you have a team and you have people that you supervise. Right, you you have a voice in this as well, and you can advocate alongside of the HR team for the importance of what they're doing, and kind of be a voice. And 
oftentimes executive teams listen to the business people more than they listen to the HR people, unfortunately. Mm. But it's a it's a place that I it's think true. You know, people who are listening that you know have that kind of responsibility in their organization can help you know carry that mantle alongside of HR mm. professionals. All right. Well, we all right. We did it. <laughs> we, we got our message out there today vehemently. Um, thank you all so much for listening, Jason. Give us the word of the day, and then and then we're out. Word of the day: assuage. Assuage. Great. I, I'm all over that one. Thank you so much for listening to how people work. Thank you for allowing us to to emote today with you and for you. And um, again, if you're listening and there's something you would love us to cover, reach out to us on probably LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. Yep. And let us know just what you'd love to hear about uh, or if there's a special guest you'd love for us to bring on the episode. We do plan to do that in the near future. Have a good one.